Then this morning, congregation, we would invite you to turn in your Bibles to Micah chapter 7. Uh, we return to our series uh, in Micah. We're up to the seventh chapter, verses 1 through 7 in the Pew Bible. You can find this on page 1076. Uh, we thought that this passage was also an appropriate passage in connection with the profession of faith, especially in light of verse 7, uh, which you will notice as we read uh, is in its essence a profession of faith coming forth from Micah, speaking the word of the Lord. So we read from Micah 7, verses 1 through 7 this morning. And as we read this, we are reminded that this is the very word of God. Woe is me, for I am like those who gather summer fruits, like those who glean vintage grapes. There is no cluster to eat of the first ripe fruit which my soul desires. The faithful man has perished from the earth, and there is no one upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. Every man hunts his brother with a net. That they may successfully do evil with both hands, the prince asks for gifts, the judge seeks a bribe, and the great man utters his evil desire. So they scheme together. The best of them is like a briar, the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge. The day of your watchmen and your punishment comes, now shall be their perplexity. Do not trust in a friend, do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. For son dishonors father, daughter rises against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. Therefore I will look to the Lord, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Thus far our reading this morning from the Word of God. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we live our life, we live our life in the context of relationships. And relationships, family relationships, can be a source of great joy. But family relationships can also be a cause of great confusion, great chaos, a great turmoil. Now, this truth, I believe, you will recognize is testified by our own experience, but also by Scripture itself. Uh, you can think of some of the great patriarchs and the, the chaos that characterize their family relationships. You can think perhaps of even our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ himself, uh, whose brothers did not believe he was the Messiah uh, until after his resurrection. And this chaos and this confusion also plagued the covenant community in Micah's day. And you'll notice as you read Micah 7, 1 through 6, that it is the description of what one author writes, the moral degeneration of contemporary society, especially the social degeneration. The social structures were broken in society in Micah's day, just as they are in our own day. Even the secular experts now recognize the brokenness of various social relationships and of the negative impact that that can have upon a community, upon a society, and upon a person. 
But here's the point of our passage. While the passage points out the reality of the brokenness of various social relationships, it responds to the reality of those broken relationships by focusing all of our hope upon the Lord. And we want to consider this passage this morning together underneath this theme, the prophet expresses hope in the Lord. And as we unfold that theme, we'll notice, first of all, the need for the hope, and then secondly, the warning to the hope, and then thirdly, the focus of the hope. So the prophet expresses hope in the Lord, the need for hope, the warning to hope, and the focus of hope. First of all, then consider with me this morning this need for a hope in the Lord. The Lord, the covenantal Lord, the Lord, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Lord including his covenant promises that he would be our God and that we would be his people. There is a need for this hope in the days of Micah as well as in our days because of the corruption within the social realm. And the evidence of that corruption is found in all sorts of corrupt practices of the unjust judges, princes, and the rich. Verse 2 well sums it up in Micah's day as well as in our day. The faithful man has perished from the earth. By this faithfulness of this man, there is to be understood uh, that there is no one upright among men. And so it is this broad, sweeping analysis of society that leads Micah to speak this inspired and infallible and inerrant word that justice lies dead in the streets of society. Faithfulness is gone. Uprightness is gone. It would seem that every man, every person, simply lies in wait of the blood of his fellow neighbor. And in Micah's day, this was certainly true, as there were all sorts of corrupt practices that were infiltrating even the justice system and the economy. And so also in our day, if we step back and we look at our society, we would have to testify that indeed there is none who is upright. And this is all the result of the reality of sin. As sin works its corruption, and as sin, especially in relationship to the violations of the second table of the law, Commandments 5 through 10 that are summarized by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You shall love your fellow man, your neighbor as yourself. But when that is not done, then there is this injustice. Uh, Then there is this each person lying in wait for the blood of his fellow man. And it was the reality of this injustice and of this corruption within the social realm that was bringing upon the Lord's sovereign chastisement and judgment upon the covenant community of Israel, leading them off into exile. But it wasn't only simply the corrupt social realm. It wasn't just looking out in the streets of society. And we also can be very quick to become critics of the society out there. But Micah brings it much closer to home, even into the home, when he identifies this need for hope is because of the corrupt domestic realm. So there is the broad society in which there is a sinful corruption, but there's also then uh, this domestic realm. Notice verse 5 and verse 6. 
Do not trust in a friend. Do not put your confidence in a companion. Guard the doors of your mouth from her who lies in your bosom. Speaking of that most intimate relationship of marriage. And then verse 6 continues. And notice here the corruption in the home. Son dishonors father. Daughter rises up in opposition against mother. Daughter-in-law is against mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. You know, it's one thing in verse 2 to say the faithful man has perished from the earth, but then to add to it, verse 6, a man's enemies are the men of his own household. How dreadful a situation. It's one thing to go out in the world and to be confronted with enemies there, but then to come into one's own home, among one's own family, to lie even upon one's own bed, and there to have the reality of corruption and of sinful perversion bring about disharmony and chaos. And here again, ultimately, uh, these are descriptions uh, of a society impacted by sinful rebellion. And as we reflect upon the need for hope in the Lord based upon the corrupt social realm and the corrupt domestic realm, uh, I want to ask you, as I ask myself also, how are the relationships within our homes and within our families? Now this should not be interpreted or received as if to imply if there is any disharmony that we then are guilty of some sin that causes that disharmony. Scripture is very plain. As much as lies within you live at peace with all men. As much as lies within you live peaceably with all men. But is there a disunity within our relationships because of our own sin? And you can go through the various commandments of the second table of the law. Have we dishonored father and mother? And is that bringing about a lack of harmony? Do we seek a murderous type of revenge that perhaps not physically would kill our brother and our sister, but mentally and emotionally would kill our brother and sister? Have we been guilty of sexual unfaithfulness and immorality that brings about all sorts of destruction within the domestic realm? Do we desire that which is not lawfully ours? Do we speak words of gossip and bitter enmity? And we speak here not only of our domestic realm in the sense of our families, but what about the family of God? What about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I, are you the cause for some measure of a lack of harmony? 
because of sinful attitudes, sinful practices. The question is there. The answer is also there in our heart. Walking with the Lord also has radical implications for how we walk with our fellow man. And we hear this, don't we, every Sunday morning? And perhaps we compliment ourselves on our conservatism that we still read the law every Sunday morning. And maybe we are even tempted to say, you know, there's many, many, many other churches that don't read the law every Sunday morning. And maybe we are tempted to pull at the lapels of our suit jackets and say, ah, we are the righteous ones. Don't ever forget the summary of the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And you cannot fulfill the first if you consistently violate the second. They go together. As Jesus Christ himself makes perfectly clear. But sadly, in the days of Micah, in the covenant community, both the first table as well as the second table were neglected. And why? Well, that brings us into our second point, the warning to hope. The first table of the law and the second table of the law were neglected because of sin. And so there is a warning in this passage, a warning that sin destroys everything. Sin is like the corrosion of rust. And and I'm sure it's similar here in Iowa as it was in West Michigan and as it is in West Michigan. You buy a vehicle and it looks nice and as the winter and the salt seasons go by, uh, you notice that first little bubble of paint usually over the fenders of the wheel wells and you know it is inevitable. You know that rust is working its devastating and deadly corrosive power and you watch as it grows and as it spreads. And a couple of years from when you first notice that spot, if that spot is not dealt with in a radical way, uh, then pretty soon the entire wheel well just simply falls apart in chunks of rusted metal on the driveway or perhaps on uh, the unpaved roads. And, and that's what sin does. Sin is any type of attitude. Sin is any type of action that is contrary to the will of God, the commandments of God. And what does God require? Uh, Well, that also is summarized in Micah 6, verse 8, especially in our social interactions and in our domestic interactions. He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. But when that is not done, then sin works devastation within broad social relationships and within close social relationships. Now, this is not the same. I want to try to be clear this morning. This is not the same as saying wherever you find disunity, that both parties have equally sinned. That simply cannot be squared with scriptural testimony. But what we are saying is this, whenever we find 
relationships that are broken, they are broken as a result of sin. If there was not sin in the world, and if there was not sin in our hearts, there would not be the broken relationships that so characterize our world. Sin destroys. It always destroys. And more and more, I believe, against our culture's lies, we are going to have to testify that no healthy, no biblical, no honest relationships can be built upon practices and patterns that are sinful. Healthy relationships, God-honoring relationships, only come when individuals, by the Holy Spirit, seek to walk in the fear of the Lord. And so if you want and I trust that you want, if you want solid relationships, if you want vibrant relationships, the way to have a vibrant, healthy relationship is to walk according to the fear of the Lord in your marriage and in your home and in your extended family relationships. As much as is in you, walk humbly with your God. Fear the Lord. Seek to keep His commandments. But know that sin, ungodly attitudes, ungodly actions, ungodly words, will never build up a relationship, but will always destroy a relationship. And now notice also that our text also warns us that nothing else other than the Lord can deliver Nothing else other than the Lord can deliver us from sin and from the resulting chaos also within our relationships. So often we're prone to think, well, if only we if only we could, you know, get some expert to come in. If only we could do this or do that, then everything would be put back together again. And certainly there there are instruments that can be used and means that can contribute to the restoration of broken relationships, but ultimately Nothing short of the covenant mercies and kindnesses of the Lord can deliver from the impact and the consequences of sin. And so you'll notice, uh, for example, uh, in verse 4, the day of your watchmen and your punishment comes, now shall be their perplexity. To whom will we look then? Uh, If there is the reality, do not trust in a friend, verse 5, do not put your confidence in a companion. Well, why not? Because ultimately, friends and companions cannot deliver us from our greatest need of deliverance. So where then do we look for deliverance? Where then do we look? When we, when we see the news reports and the devastation that is occurring within our society, when we see the attack upon the family and upon the institution of marriage, and I'm just now talking about the social realm, when we see all of these things, where do we then look? But also when it gets closer to home, when the marriage is broken, when the relationships between parents and children is broken, And when the relationships, perhaps even within the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are broken, where then do we look? And that's what brings us into our third point. The prophet says in verse 7, 
I will look to the Lord. And, and at times, at times, God in His sovereign providence allows all of the other relationships to be strained so that we don't have anywhere else to look other than the Lord. And in, the, in the times in which we are most stressed, most strained, then our eyes have nowhere else to go but to the Lord God Himself. And so in our third point, the focus of the hope is the focus upon the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. As society crumbles more and more, it's just simply showing the complete ineffectiveness of society to save our soul. You know, you, you, you can't come up here and profess, I believe in society. I believe in social evolution as my hope. You can't even come up here and say, I believe in the relationships that make up the home. Because sadly, many times they are strained even to the point of being broken. But you can come and you can say, I believe in the Lord. The covenant Lord. And I put my hope in Him. I put my trust in Him. I notice uh, very pointedly what the prophet says in verse 7. Therefore, I will look to the Lord. This look means to fix one's gaze and one's attention upon. And that's why you'll notice in the questions that were asked of these young men, in essence, we ask them, do you look away from yourself? And do you look to your Lord for deliverance? And they said, yes, we do. And I would encourage you, young men and those who have made profession of faith recently, don't look to the right nor to the left, but look to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. Because sadly what happens at times people begin with good intentions but then they are distracted and they look to the right and they look to the left and they see this and they see that and they're drawn here and they're drawn there and they become confused. And what is the cause of their confusion? A lack of a singular focus. I will look to the Lord and I will wait not in some type of passivity, but I will wait in the sense of hope and trust and rely. Sure, the world is crumbling. And sure, perhaps there is much chaos within our lives, but the psalmist or the prophet rather says, I wait for the God of my salvation. And that's what we need to do. Each and every one of us. Wait for the God of our salvation. Wait for the God who has accomplished our salvation in and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wait for the God who has promised that He will bring to completion our salvation. You might say that Micah 7, verse 7, is kind of a preamble to what we find in Hebrews 12, verse 1. Looking unto the author and the finisher of our faith, Jesus Christ. You see, this is the way to live. And in passing point of application, 
This also is the way to die. Now certainly it is a great privilege by God's providence to die surrounded by loving family. We don't want to discredit that at all. But think of it in a moment here. You pass from time into eternity. And your family cannot cross the Jordan with you. So when you lie upon your deathbed, yes, it'll be a wonderful privilege of God's providence to have your entire family surround you. But when you cross the Jordan of death, your family cannot walk that with you. And it's wonderful privilege of God's providence to have a caring medical community around your deathbed. But those doctors, those nurses, they can't carry you across the Jordan. And the hospice volunteers, for which we are so immensely grateful, they can't carry you across the Jordan. Your friends, what can they do in that moment? Well, certainly they pray and offer words of biblical comfort. I look to the Lord. I wait for the God of my salvation. And then notice the assurance of faith. My God will hear me. Perhaps my family won't hear me, but my God will hear me. Perhaps my closest friends won't hear me, but my God will hear me. Perhaps society won't hear me. Never mind. My God will hear me. And God hears all who call out to him in truth. That's also a promise of the Word of God found, for example, in Psalm 145. The Lord hears the cries of his people. And so even in the midst of the chaos that so characterized the social and the domestic realm in the days of Micah, I just want us to note that Micah, as he's led by the Holy Spirit, had a realistic view of things. He didn't deny, he did not deny the decay of society. But neither did he despair. So don't deny, but don't despair. Well, what is the key to not denying and not despairing? Fixing your eyes of faith exclusively upon the Lord God and his salvation. Amen. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would bless it to our hearts. Revive our often weak and trembling souls. Refresh our spirits. May we be realistic in our evaluation of society. And may we be humble in our evaluation of our own relationships. 
But may we also be confident in the promises of the Lord our God. And may all of us, young and old, and all of those in between, wait for the Lord God of our salvation, knowing that our God will hear us. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.